for joining us for another episode at Real Talk Personal Finance. Cashflow King here, and today we're going to talk about the topic of what level is your emergency fund? I actually wrote a little article on this on my Substack a while back, and there are, as I like to define them, three different levels of emergency funds. And before we get into that, let's just start off with what is an emergency fund, right? It's probably the most overused phrase in personal finance, at least it seems like it is as of late. And I really think that the phrase emergency fund means different things to different people. So that's the first part. I'll start with that. When I say that, if you polled 100 different people or you took however many people end up listening to this and you ask them all the same question, what does an emergency fund mean to you? They're likely going to have very different answers. Some of them will be the same and somewhat overlapping, but it's going to be a little bit different. And if you dig a little bit deeper and you ask them, you know, how do you approach, what is your approach to emergency funds for yourself or your family? The varying responses are probably going to be even more widespread. So I think it's probably safe to say that when we look at what an emergency fund is, it's a combination of a mathematical answer combined with an emotional overlay. That's the way I like to think about it. So if you take a mathematical answer, a mathematical component, and with that, you combine in an emotional overlay and you put those two things together, you basically come up with what an emergency fund might mean to a particular individual. And so that's the way I like to think about it. So this is going to be a pretty quick episode. Um, we're going to go over three different levels or categories of emergency funds the way that I see them. Again, I wrote a Substack about this. If you want to check it out, feel free. But we're pretty much going to go through a majority of the same information here today in audio format. And so the first would be just the beginner level, right? And this is kind of the hair, your hair might be on fire all the way up to about three months of, of basic living expenses. And so different people think about this differently, but when we're talking about a time period, like for example, zero to three months, and I say three months, what does that mean to you? And it's going to be different for everybody. When I talk and think about emergency funds, I'm referring to your basic living expenses not necessarily your income. So for example, if, if I said, if you have up to three months in an emergency fund, what the hell do I mean? Some people take that as three months of what I would say earning at a job, right? Three months of wages or three months of income. And other people, myself included, would think of that to mean three months of actual living expenses. Now, in an ideal world, hopefully those numbers are vastly different. Unfortunately, I think the vast majority of Americans would tell you that those numbers are pretty much the same or that in some cases, unfortunately, the expense number may even be higher than the income number. But assuming that, you know, in a normal environment, you know, let's say you're working and you're an employee W-2, you go to work, you get a paycheck, you know, you have your withholdings and your, you know, benefits and, and whatnot. And then you have your take-home pay, that net amount that hits your bank or credit union account. You spend a certain portion of that and you put away a certain portion of that, right? But that's essentially your income. Well, we're talking just about the expenses, assuming that you saved zero. So um, I just kind of wanted to start with that. And that probably goes without saying, but I do think it's worth mentioning because some people think, well, how in the world am I going to save X number of months of you know, income? Um, based on what I'm making now when I'm maybe not putting all that much away. And we're really talking about expenses. So first level beginner, I would say if you literally have zero dollars or negative dollars to your name 
all the way up to three months of basic living expenses. Not your vacations and going out to the bar money, but your, oh shit, I need to eat and keep the lights on and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Roof over my head. So, uh, for somebody at this stage, again, this is somebody that maybe has a tremendous amount of credit card debt. Maybe they're living paycheck to paycheck. They really don't have any savings to speak of all the way up to maybe three months of basic living expenses. For anybody in that category, basically save your first $1,000. If you have credit card debt, you want to look at ways to reduce or get rid of that. There's different methods. We're not going to spend a ton of time on that on today's episode, but you can look up things like the debt snowball versus the debt avalanche. You can look up balance transfer opportunities. There's a lot of different ways to kind of whittle that down. But if that's where you are, then your emergency fund at the beginner level should absolutely be nowhere else other than a high-yield checking or high-yield savings account. And for those that may not be familiar with what those are, depending on the financial institution that you're working with, you oftentimes can basically create sort of an online account where you know it may not be tied to a brick-and-mortar location. So for example, if you have a lot of the large banks out there, sort of the the Chase and the Bank of America and the Wells Fargo's of the world, you're typically not going to get really a high yield account with them. They might call it that, but it's dog shit. Um, you're going to want to go, if you Google high yield savings or high yield checking accounts, you'll find other institutions out there like a Capital One 360, an Ally Bank, a Marcus, um, a whole bunch of different institutions where they do the majority, if not all of their business exclusively online. They don't have a bunch of different brick and mortar retail locations spread across the country that they need to pay the overhead on and therefore give you next to nothing in terms of an interest rate. So in today's very, very low interest rate environment, are you going to get rich from having a high yield account? Absolutely not. But it's always nice to keep your money working for you to the extent that you can. And most of those are free with very low, even in some cases, even no minimums to get those accounts started. So if you're at that first beginner level, that's where you're going to want to keep the funds as you build things up to about three months of basic living expenses. So that's kind of the first category, the first level being beginner. And there might be some folks, there might be a lot of folks in, in that category, and a lot of people don't like to admit that, but we all start somewhere. So if that's you, don't worry about it, don't be embarrassed by it, but it's just something to, you know, to tackle head on and, and get that in order. Once you've sort of surpassed that level, the next level of the three would be intermediate. And I would consider anybody that has, say, three to six months of basic living expenses um, to be in the intermediate camp. So if you're risk averse, then you, just like in the first category, may want to simply keep these funds in a high yield account, essentially in cash. And there's nothing wrong with that. For those that say, you know, I'm at this intermediate level. I have a little bit of cash saved. It's going to take forever to continue to save cash. I kind of want to do something with some of this money. Yes, I understand I need to have some of it liquid and available, but is it okay if I start investing a portion of it? And it really depends. One thing that I talk about sometimes, sort of a dual purpose type of account is an account that is available to most, but not available to everybody, or at least the way it gets a little complicated. But let's just say, depending on whether you're single or married, if you make a fairly modest income, you know, then what I'm about to talk about, you can likely do, you know, without jumping through any hoops. If your income is significantly higher, so if you're well into the six-figure range, then you may have to do sort of a backdoor method. At least currently, that's still allowed. There is talk about that going away. 
So we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. If you're not sure, if you just Google um, Roth IRA limits or basically adjusted gross income limits for Roth IRA contributions, you should be able to find these numbers pretty easily. I know for 2021, for married filing jointly, your modified adjusted gross income, your MAGI, it starts to phase out at 198000 So if you're married and you and your spouse together combined earn less than that or significantly less than that, you don't have to worry about any kind of fancy fanciness. And if you're a single person, I forget exactly what the, the number is. It used to be in the 120s. It may be in the 130s or even 140 now. Um, I should have pulled those numbers before I started recording, but I didn't. Um, actually, I'll tell you what. Give me a second here, and I'll pull them for you right now. I got the document on my desktop of all places. All right, so let's check it out. Where did it go? So phase out for Roth. Okay, so if you are single or head of household, it starts to phase out at 125000 in 2021. And if you're married finally jointly, it starts to phase out at 198000 Translation, if you're single and make less than 125, or you're married and filed jointly with your spouse and together you make less than 198, then you can do what I'm about to describe. If you are over those numbers, you're going to have to do a little bit of research and potentially uh, jump through a couple hoops to accomplish what I'm about to describe. So here we go. <clears throat> sort of a dual purpose Roth IRA. And I'm probably going to do a separate episode completely on Roth IRAs. But for now, we're going to talk about what I like to call the dual purpose Roth IRA. So a Roth IRA, just to keep it brief, is a type of retirement account. It's one of my favorites that you can put money into after taxes. So money that's just kind of chilling in your checking account that can be contributed to a Roth IRA. You've already gone to work and paid the taxes on it. Money's in your bank account. Okay. Ideally, that money is going to be for you for retirement. If you play by a couple of rules, then when you take the money out in retirement, presumably you'll be able to take out everything whenever you need to completely tax-free. And those two rules, there's a couple of exceptions. Again, we'll save all the exception stuff for the episode. But in general, you have to be at least age 59 and a half at the time you take the money out. And you have to have had the account open for at least five tax years. And if both of those are true, then you can pull anything and everything that you want out tax-free. You don't have to be 59 and a half to start and put money in. You can be any age as long as you have or have a spouse that has earned income, which basically means you go to work and get a paycheck or if you're self-employed, you have wages. So what am I talking about here? You can, let's say you're in that intermediate phase. Let's say you have six months, for example, of cash, right? So you're in the intermediate camp. You've graduated from the beginner level. You could choose, if you're not all that risk averse, to keep a portion of that, let's say half of it in cash. So you got three months in cash or in a high yield savings or checking account. And the other three months, you could contribute, assuming you meet the income limitations we just talked about, into a Roth IRA, a Roth individual retirement account. And so by doing that, one of the things that very few people realize, unless you're just in this space, but if you ask the average person, they don't realize that you can access your contributions and only your contributions. So no earnings, no growth from the account, just the money you put in, your contributions from a Roth IRA and only a Roth IRA. This does not apply to other retirement plans. This is only for a Roth IRA. Tax and penalty free at any time, any age, any reason. I'll say that again. If you contribute money to a Roth IRA, you can take your contributions and only your contributions out of that Roth IRA, tax and penalty free at any time for any reason. 
That's what makes it so powerful. So if you don't end up needing the funds, you have the benefit of having contributed them into the Roth IRA. But if you do need the funds, you have the ability to pull your contributions back out of that Roth IRA. So you might be thinking, okay, well, what's the downside? Why wouldn't I do that? And there's a couple different approaches that you can go with when it comes to doing this. So one of them is you contribute funds to the Roth IRA as cash and you leave the money in there temporarily as cash. So obviously it's not going to be growing, but the, the interesting thing about the Roth IRA is that there's a finite window. And once that time period passes, you can't go back and put money back in for a previous year. Okay, and we'll talk about all those deadlines on the Roth IRA episode. I'm going to try to keep it high level here. So if you want to get money into the account during that finite window, you can go ahead and contribute and just keep it as cash. And that way, if shit hits the fan and you need to take money out of the account because it's in cash and it's not invested, your contributions will be there to be able to be taken out of the account. So that's the least risky way of doing this type of a dual purpose strategy. We don't have a lot of people that do that, but there are some. Another way that you can think about doing it is you do the exact same thing, only when you put the money in, you invest it. And hopefully you never need to touch it, and it's there and compounds for you nicely for decades and decades, and you can enjoy another tax-free income source in retirement if you meet certain rules to be able to take the money out, and everything's fine. But if you need it in the meantime, you just have to sell the investments to raise the cash in order to be able to take your contributions back out. Now, this can work in one of two ways. Number one, let's say you invest the money in the Roth IRA and things go well. Markets go up, your investment value goes up, and then you need the money and you have to sell to raise the cash. No big deal. As long as the earnings, the growth, stays in the account, you can still pull out your contributions tax and penalty free. Totally fine. In that case, there's, you know, you you win. However, if you invest the money and the market crashes, and let's say that in this example, 3000 that you put in drops down to 1500 and you needed two of that 3000 guess what? Money's not there. Money is simply not there. So that's the trade-off is that if markets move against you, and you have to sell your investments at a loss to raise the cash, you may not be able to raise all the cash that you put in, right? You buy something that's worth $100 and it drops down in value to 50 bucks and you say, hey, I want my 100 bucks back. I need the money. Well, guess what? Too bad. It's only worth 50. You got to sell it and you're going to get 50, right? So that's the risk. So for anyone that doesn't like that, doesn't like the way that sounds, quite frankly, personally, I don't like that. So I wouldn't do this strategy, but I do. I have had people that have done that and, and know people that have done that. And it's worked out very well for them. You just have to understand the risks, okay? And if that's not something that sounds appealing to you, then simply go with what I said initially, which is keeping that three to six months of living expenses in a high-yield account, okay? So those are the first two, beginner and intermediate. That leads us to the final one here, which is the advanced category. And everyone will define this differently. I'm going to say six to 12 months, really more like nine to 12 months of living expenses in cash. Um, you may have other, say, passive income sources that generate a certain amount of income. So you may have a portion in cash and you may have a portion of residual income that you can sort of count on on a monthly basis. If you, You'll know if you're in the advanced category. Basically, if, if you heard the first two and you just kind of laughed, like you're probably in the advanced category. And that's what we're going to get into here. And there's different ways to approach 
you know, the advanced level of emergency funds. So one of them is to simply keep your emergency fund intact, whatever that number needs to be for you. It's going to be different for everybody. There's different considerations there, right? Are you a one income household or two? Are you a salaried position or commissioned? Does your income fluctuate? How secure is your job or how secure do you think it is if you have one? So there's different ways to go about that. Um, so you could simply keep the emergency fund at whatever level that you need to and invest the difference. And let's say you invested it in sort of a taxable brokerage account, for example, that it's, it's not a retirement account, money still gets invested in the markets, it's fully liquid, you might have to pay a little bit of tax each year because there's no you know huge tax advantage other than the capital gains rate versus ordinary income in most cases. So that's, that's one option. The other one is some people will say, my portfolio is my emergency fund. I've heard that a time or two. I got you know a friend of mine that that's, that's their approach to this. And so what happens if they keep next to no cash and they try to build up a sizable portfolio and they look at that portfolio as their emergency fund? Well, if they need access to cash, what are their options? Well, one would be sell some shit, right? You have some investments. You got to raise the cash for it depending on you know how long you've held those investments and where the market is and your cost basis and all sorts of other analysis. You could simply hit the sell button for a portion of it and raise the cash. No big deal. Or you could loan against your shit. So you could find, for example, a margin loan, if we're talking about a taxable brokerage account, where you're essentially pledging securities as collateral and getting a loan, hopefully at a very low interest rate, to be able to take care of whatever you need to. Let's say you've been investing for some time. The Your cost basis or the money that you put in to those investments is fairly low. And what those investments are worth today because of market growth and appreciation is fairly high. And you don't want to have to sell those investments to pay the taxes and don't want to worry about that, then you could simply consider a some sort of a margin loan where you're pledging those securities as collateral. A lot of brokerages will give you a loan, usually at fairly favorable interest rates, on a portion, a certain percentage of your portfolio, and you can take that money and do whatever you need to. And there's typically very minimal, if any, paperwork. There's no credit check. You don't have to fill out a big-ass loan application. It's a pretty streamlined process. I've actually used it myself um, but you have to be careful and it comes with a little bit of risk, you know, depending on how big that portfolio is and how big you need your emergency fund to be, that may or may not work out in your favor. And in the interest of time and trying to keep this short, I noticed I'm almost at 20 minutes. So I'm going to skip the example. If you're interested in an example of what that looks like when that goes well and that goes poorly, check out my what level is your emergency fund article on my Substack. And you can read through that example, but uh, you do have to be careful with that because there is some risk there of you getting a margin call. And if you don't have any cash and you get a margin call where they basically say, hey, hey, shithead, deposit some cash into your account or we're going to start selling off all your securities in order to raise the cash. And if, especially if the market drops, that can just be a, a terrible cycle to go down. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Okay, last is, let's see. Okay, doing it all, basically, right? So cash first, having a stash of cash first. Income stream second, so trying to build passive income streams that you have in place that will insulate you from a cash flow standpoint. Collateralized assets at low rates last, so that's sort of a semi-last resort. Not always a last resort, but being very careful with it and pretty much doing everything kind of together. And so when I say collateralized assets at low rates, 
That could be anything from a home equity line of credit or a HELOC. It could be a margin loan on a brokerage account. It could be life insurance cash values if you have a permanent life insurance policy. And the list goes on and on. Just keep in mind with any of those strategies and utilizing anything with collateralization, you are, as the name implies, putting up collateral. And if shit hits the fan and things don't go well, you could lose that collateral. So you want to be extremely careful and exercise extreme caution. But once your balance sheet grows over time and you are sort of in this more advanced phase of emergency fund thinking, quite frankly, at some point you may say, you know what, I don't even need to think about emergency funds because I have so many income streams and so many assets I can loan against and whatnot. A lot of people don't worry about it. And that's totally fine. But you just want to make sure you're taking everything into consideration. But the larger your balance sheet gets, you can really you learn to manage that effectively in order to weather any storm that may come your way. Nobody's bulletproof, but it is possible to adapt how you would approach these things over time. Maybe initially it's all high yield accounts and all cash. Then maybe the Roth hybrid creeps in. Now you got that going. You don't need to use it as a hybrid anymore. Now you're building up taxable accounts. You really don't want to do the margin thing. So now you start building up income streams at the same time. Those income streams are funding your taxable accounts. And just you kind of compound your financial situation so that at any given time, you have multiple places that you can go should you need to. And at that point, the importance of having an emergency fund, not that it's not as important, but you've built such a robust financial system or machine that it becomes less and less of a consideration. So those are sort of the three levels of emergency funds. As I see them, like I said, at this point, we're now over uh, 22 minutes. So we're going to go ahead and end the recording here. Again, this is the Cashflow King at Real Talk Personal Finance, where shit gets real. Thank you for taking the time to be here, and we hope you enjoy the episode. We will catch you in the next episode. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.